Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Karen Olivo. The Tony-winning actress had appeared in the Broadway musicals Rent and Brooklyn before her breakout role in In the Heights in 2008, and she went on to win the Tony for featured actress as Anita in the 2009 revival of West Side Story. Since then, she's appeared off-Broadway in Murder Ballads and Tick, Tick, Boom, and had a stint playing Angelica in the Chicago production of Hamilton. Now she's back on Broadway in the splashy, strong-selling stage adaptation of Moulin Rouge, playing Satine, the star performer at the Bohemian Cabaret that gives the show its name. You'll notice this week that the podcast sounds a little different than it usually does. That's because we're recording this episode the week after Broadway went dark due to the coronavirus outbreak, and we are, for obvious reasons, recording remotely. So Olivo is joining us all the way from her home in Madison, Wisconsin, to tell me about not only the coronavirus outbreak and what it's been like for her as a Broadway performer, but also to talk about the role that got her back to Broadway for the first time in a decade, her favorite song in the show, and how she's keeping Moulin Rouge alive for herself while the production is on hiatus. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, remotely, as it is, we would be uh, together in the same room right now if things were not uh, the way they were. But uh, thanks for thanks for joining remotely. Um, yeah. Before we talk about anything else uh, and start to talk about, you know, your part and your work in Moulin Rouge and all that, but let's talk about the stuff that's at top of mind for everyone right now, which is sort of mm-hmm. what this whole experience has been like with the Broadway shutdown for you as a performer. What what's what's it been like for you the last few days? Uh well. It's been very interesting, actually. Um, you know, our our show was going to go up on Thursday, and uh, people showed up to the theater, and we were told to go home, and that was the end of it. I mean, it happened so abruptly. I think all of us are sort of still reeling from it. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a, a quick sort of like, if there's anything you need to get out of the theater, you can get it for the next, like, hour or so and then um and we've been in contact with our producers and our stage manager has been available to us but uh we are all kind of confused and um and sort of wishing that we were still in the theater um it that's the only way to put it we've we've actually done a couple of facetime um like group facetiming yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was ridiculous and and felt good to see people's faces again. You spend so much time with these people, you know, yeah. and you, we have such an intimate relationship that when uh, they're sort of pulled from you, it feels very unnatural. It's weird, you know, for actors, we don't see our families very often. <laughs> That's the truth. Who we do see very often are the people that we make art with. And when that is taken from us, uh, you really do feel a sense of loss in a very different way. It's not just your job, but it's all of your, you know, it's your cohort. Um, so it's been very strange for us. Yeah, yeah. Were you, 
are you ultimately glad that this is happening sort of overall in the city or is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question. I mean, anyone who's listened to any of the experts knows that the only way that we we figured this thing out is to flatten the curve, like they say. So that means just stopping all interaction. And, you know, obviously, you know, the social distancing is something that everyone's taking part of. Um, It must have been interesting for you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 that was it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say it must have been interesting for you in particular because you play a role that involves, you know, quite a bit of coughing. And so you're you're sort of going through going through some stuff that uh, kind of mirrors what's going on in real life. Did you feel that? I am not going to lie to you. There has been a handful of times during this, uh, this entire experience that I have felt this is so meta and... Mm. Uh, in an unsettling way, you know, there was a time a couple of weeks ago when I was ill during the show and I was coughing real coughs because I actually had, you know, things coming up. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, these people are really thinking that I'm selling it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, um, it just, you know, we have, sometimes we have to perform when we're ill. And so that's one of the things that comes to mind, just like. Uh, and also, you know, and I think in retrospect, like I was ill, I probably shouldn't have been at the theater. I, you know, but you know, the way that our business works, you know, the show must go on. And so there was, if I could put the costume on and I could uh, make it through a number, I was going to try and do my show. Yeah. And what for just the, the kind of logistics of it, do you need to do, you can't, as I imagine, have like a pickup rehearsal, you know, once a week or anything. How do you keep the show fresh in you? Or have you even figured that out yet as you're, you know, on this hiatus? Yeah, there's been actually a lot of conversations with some of the cast members about keeping our stamina because, you know, as you know, our show is incredibly difficult vocally and physically. And so there's been a little bit of panic. I know one of my one of my castmates is doing a Moulin Rouge themed workout right now on Facebook Live. there's, you know, there's all different kinds of a handful of people have sent videos of themselves working out. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I, honestly in the shower last night, I, I started warming up a little bit and started singing through a couple of things just to be like, okay, right. This is something that you're going to have to do again. But I think that we're going to have to do a very extensive, uh, like a, a put in for all of us. Yeah. When this all comes back into play. Luckily, this is a kind of show we've been doing it for so long that it right. the file is in our brain at some pl- at some place. Yeah. We just have to access it again. Um, and I I think that that first show back will be incredible. And our second show back when we when our we realize what we've done to our bodies and our voices <laughs> may be a little bit right. <laughs> different. <laughs> right. You know, when all of the adrenaline is worn off. Um, But like always, we'll get through it and we'll figure out a way. Right. Yeah. So let's rewind a bit and talk a little bit about how you first got involved in the show. How did it, how did the project come to you? Uh, The project came to me via an audition, just, you know, the way that it would with most people. Um, I uh, was doing Hamilton in Chicago at the time. Right. And I knew that I was going to be uh, leaving because I was going to go back to school right. and try to get the rest of my degree. Oh. And um, and 
it came in the in the form of just do you want to audition for this thing and I said I'm I'm not sure that you have the right person this is Karen Olivo um, <laughs> what why not why didn't you think you were the right person well because I know I know the movie very well I know mm-hmm. that you know the part of Satine was brought to life by Nicole Kidman I, I couldn't be further from a Nicole Kidman type mm. um and so I I was sort of confused and then it was relayed to me that they were definitely trying to go a different way and try to, they were trying to reimagine the team. So at that point I thought, well, you know, if you're trying to go a different way, you don't get more different than me. So I might actually have a shot at this. Yeah. And you are not based in New York. Is that right? No, I'm in, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. So do you, do you have to think extra hard about the things that are going to take you away from, well, as you were just saying, you know, away from your family? It is a very long conversation with my husband. We have mm-hmm. two children yeah. uh, that we have uh, joint custody with. And so any project that I try to do, it's sort of um, two questions come up. Uh, am I passionate about it? And then the other thing is, can our family handle it? And what's the time frame that I'll be away? Um, you know, my husband and I talk really long and hard about Moulin Rouge. And mm. at every sort of step of its incarnation we we sort of did a wait and see you know we did like a lab downtown first and that was for six weeks and once that had finished uh my husband was like well what do you think and I was like well let's wait and see let's see what the next you know incarnation of it is and then that sort of went into Boston and we decided okay well we'll do Boston and and once I was in Boston I was sort of pot committed they had created I mean, we had created a show um, and it was kind of created around what I could do. So for mm. me to walk away at that point would have been a little crazy. Yeah. And what what was it that was compelling to you that uh, really called to you about the role? Well, I'm always interested in someone saying, let's reimagine something. Because mm. um, what I like to do as a storyteller is uh, try to find all the nooks and crannies, uh, try to explore all of the options, the avenues for the character storytelling and where the story could actually go and how we can push boundaries and things like that. So that was the thing that sort of caught me. I'm a huge fan of the movie already. So I also didn't want to pass up the opportunity to be the person to take it to the stage. Mm. Um, You know, I would have, had I not been in it, I would be the person sitting in the audience hoping that someone didn't ruin my beloved Moulin Rouge. (laughs) So when given the opportunity, I was like, well, yeah, then let me do it. Cause I know that I love it. And uh, I would never want to do anything with the material that would uh, not pay homage to the film. And how do you consider your Satine different from uh, Nicole Kidman's Satine? Well, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know that Nicole Kidman's team is longing to be an actress and leave the Moulin Rouge and sort of leave that lifestyle behind her. Right. Uh, the Our version sort of centers on the team's desire to keep the Moulin Rouge going, keeping the doors open, making sure that there is a place for her family to stay. And for, you know, the the Lady M's are her family and Ziedler are her family and they're, and everyone that's working inside the Moulin Rouge are these misfits that have come from all over who didn't have places to go and found um, a sort of makeshift, a makeshift family within the Moulin Rouge. So that's the hugest difference. She's changing everything about herself 
to um, be what all of these different suitors want so that they can fund the Moulin Rouge um, so that her family can stay together. Right. And why was the movie so meaningful to you? What did you love about it so much? Oh, I mean, the movie was fantastic. I mean, we, I remember seeing it for the first time and, and being in awe of how my medium musical theater had been transferred to, you know, film so effortlessly. I mean, it was the first time in a while that I had seen a contemporary movie musical that I felt really got it. Um, Mm. And also, you know, there, there's, it's not that it's, you know, film can be so theatrical already, but there was something so specific about Boz's vision and the way that he, his transitions and, and how the music was always sort of, uh, it, it was doing the same thing that we do in musical theater, which is the character doesn't know what to say. And so they break out into song. Right. I mean, and that, that was, that's the, that's the crux of what musical theater is. And right. so all of those things wrapped up into one in that gorgeous, you know, that gorgeous package. Um, yeah. It became a fast favorite of mine. And as you sort of helped shape the sateen that we see on stage and your sateen, how is, how is the character that you're playing now uh, like you personally? And how is she not like you? Is she, uh, were there parts of her that you really identify with and parts of you that are maybe less you? I would say that um, at the very beginning of our process, I felt far away from Satine. And now I, Hmm. I really do feel like she and I are walking hand in hand. Um, you know, I because I didn't know the company as well. <laughs> right. I mean, the truth is, every night I go out on the stage, I am in essence doing the same thing that Satine is doing. Hmm. I'm uh-huh. making sure that the show happens so that my friends, you know, my my castmates who are now my family, uh, have a show, and their patrons come to see our show, and I have to be a part of it, and yeah. so we are. Yeah, I mean, Satine and I are working for the same exact goal, which is to keep Moulin Rouge going as long as we possibly can. Right. Yeah. And your first, this might be a stretch, but go with me here. Your first Broadway gig was in Rent, right? So, and Rent was, you know, uh, very much informed by La Boheme, which I feel like was a very large inspiration for Moulin Rouge. Exactly, yeah. Do those two projects feel, do you, like, was your experience on Rent anything that you called upon as you were working on Moulin Rouge? No, actually, hmm. it, it was actually, no, I think there was uh, a friend of mine was, a friend of mine actually brought the, brought that up to me at one point and said, you know, these pieces that you've done, they're all sort of links. And I, hmm. and I thought, oh, you know, I, I hadn't really thought of that um, until you, you brought it up. Um, I, I guess I, I guess if I was a better musical theater history buff, I, maybe that would have occurred to me sooner, but, um, no. Well, but it sounds like you thought of those characters as completely different characters. Like, like, uh, like Satine isn't inspired by Mimi. Your Satine definitely isn't inspired by Mimi. Yeah. 
no, but truthfully, they they could have been. I mean, when I played Mimi, I was so much younger and I I had so much life to live. There was mm. no way that I could have thought of anything other than myself at that time. And mm. right. <laughs> and Satine is definitely not thinking about herself. Right. Right. And the score of Moulin Rouge, as we all know, even people who maybe haven't seen the show yet, is comprised of this crazy patchwork quilt of like songs we all know, like hits from so many decades. Um, is there one song in particular that you really love getting to sing every night? It's funny, everyone asks me this, and my favorite song in this show is not a song that I sing. Mm, it's mm-hmm. the song that Danny sings, his yep. chandelier. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. This is Danny Burstein, who um, yeah. plays the, the, well, you can d- describe the situation in which he sings it. Well, I mean, I'll explain why I love Chandelier so much. Oh, yeah, please. I mean, I feel like there are two different things about, um, I think that it it's perfect storytelling for that point mm. in the show. It's um, it's the point at which uh, Ziedler sort of steps in and tries to uh, change the way that uh, Christian is seeing his relationship with Satine. Mm. to save him right. and um and i think it's the first time in the show that well i shouldn't say the first time but my favorite time in which the scenic design the light the sound everything is sort of working in this really super hyper uh uh artistic way uh there's a point at which the 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 stage is blank and then all of a sudden everything sort of the 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 garret which chandelier takes place in mm. forms around the actors and it's this wonderful moment where all of a sudden you're you go from being a spectator to being inside Christian's head mm-hmm. and yeah. it's this gorgeous transition i mean alex timbers is such a genius and ha- i'd never seen the show and I, I loved the song, but once I saw how he had built that entire section, um, it really did sort of solidify everything that I'd heard about the way Alex creates. Yes, this uh, is but Alex, it, the it director, really does. Yeah. Alex Timbers, yes, our director. He he sort of like he shifts the way you start seeing everything, and you're stuck inside uh, Christian's mind, and it all happens during Chandelier. Um, right. And I also think the choreography is brilliant. It is such brilliant storytelling, physical storytelling. Uh, Sonia Taya, who's our choreographer, did that. Yeah. I remember when she was creating it. I remember, I, you know, I love Sonia and Sonia and I are very friendly, but I kept looking at her going, you're, you're a genius. Like, how did you do this? As I was watching her put it together. But I think mm. it's, it's one of the most um, impeccable moments of the show. Yeah. In in what ways do you feel like the the show is really true to uh, the film? What what is what do you feel like the show really captures about the film that and then brings it on stage? I think the the love story, the you know, mm. the only the not I wouldn't say the love triangle as much, but uh, the pursuit of of art and love and. Um, sort of the battle between the pessimist and the optimist. I think that that core sort of um, push and pull between the lovers is something that I think they nailed really well. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with too, like Justin Levine, our music orchestrator, um, our music arranger, 
he picked songs that would really uh, support the narrative in those places. Um, but I think that that's the main thing that we pull from the movie. And, and also, I, I shouldn't say that, you know, the, the sort of frenetic way that Boz shot that film is something that you experience in the theater, which is hard to believe. You know, we, do, right. we don't have right. smash cuts. You know, right. that's not a convention that we have in theater. But what you will feel when you come to the theater is this sort of, um, we joke about it being like a, a roller coaster ride. And right. once it starts, the downbeat of Lady Marmalade starts, we really will not relinquish our hold on you until we've decided mm -hmm. you're done. And that's the way that movie sort of felt. I couldn't keep my eyes from the screen. And that's the way we sort of uh, handle our patrons once they're inside the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And you started to allude to this when you were talking about uh, Justin and his work, but uh, so many of these songs that uh, you all sing have these, because they're so well known, we all have our own sort of personal kind of connections with these songs and have our own, they all have like our own personal meanings to us. Does that make your job harder or easier to kind of find your own way into these these songs for you as an individual character? Well, I mean, I think that if I was a little bit better acquainted with pop music, it would have mm. been difficult for me. But because I, mm. I, I know so little pop music, <laughs> um, I had to learn most of those songs for the show. Like, I didn't know Firework. Oh, um, that's funny. Yeah, I knew that it was a Katy Perry song. And when mm -hmm. they started playing it, I was like, oh, I know. I've heard that before. Right. I've heard that like, in the drugstore. <laughs> right, sure. But I didn't know anything about the lyrics. I didn't know anything about, I had no personal memory of me like singing it in the car or, you know. Right, right, yeah. Um, but what I do notice is that patrons have very distinct memories to a lot of these songs. Yeah. Um, and especially there's a, our Elephant Love Medley, which is comprised of many songs. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of times during the show while Aaron and I are performing it, each one of us will sort of change uh, which song we're singing. And you can immediately hear when people in the audience recognize it. And there's usually like this uncomfortable chuckle mm -hmm. that we're, we're bringing this song into the story. Yeah. And then immediately they sort of buy into it. But I mean, yeah, it, you, always, you always know when someone has a memory. Right. relating to the song you're singing. I'll have more with Karen right after the break. Now here's more with the Tony-winning actress Karen Olivo. One thing that I didn't know until I was preparing for this interview is that between uh, the Moulin Rouge in Boston, the run in Boston that you mentioned, and the starting the run on Broadway, you went back to Madison and you were in Fun Home playing Allison. I was. And I tell, was. Me, tell me about that. What 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 appealed to you about that, and what was fun about that role? Well, the, I mean, I, I knew I was going to do it for quite some time. My sister-in-law, uh, Jen Apoff Gray, has a theater here in Madison. Um, called Forward Theater. They're the only, um, excuse me, they're the only professional theater here in Madison. Um, and they, they had talked about doing Fun Home for a while. Mm. And she had asked me if I would be a part of it. And I, I said, absolutely. And so it fit into the schedule. And I knew that she was going to direct it. So that's my sister-in-law directing it. 
-hmm. And my husband, who used to be, um, uh, used to do sound on Broadway, was going to mix it. So it was a very, um, it was a lovely sort of family, uh, family endeavor. Um, And that show is, you know, it's probably one of my favorite musical theater shows. It's brilliantly crafted. Yeah. Um, and I could do that show for the rest of my life. Yeah. That, that was, it was quite the experience. And I loved being in comfortable shoes and one outfit. <laughs> right. Different from the show you are in now. <laughs> I'm so different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then you also mentioned uh, that you were you spent some time in Hamilton in Chicago, and I feel like that was mm-hmm. really when Hamilton we were in sort of peak Hamilton hype at that moment, right? Um, what was that whole 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 experience like? Uh, you know, Hamilton is a it's a whole other thing. It's it's such mm-hmm. a different kind of machine. I am, you know, I I, I was a fan of the show. I, I saw it on opening night. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe this thing is real. And I can't believe my buddy made it. And Mm -hmm. um, so when I got the opportunity, of course, I jumped at it. And uh, you know, it's weird. It it really sort of put it put me sort of on everyone's radar because I was a part of it. Mm. And and for an introvert, that's not necessarily the the best thing. But what I do know is that I I was able to 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 do what you know real what what most actors want to do, which is you want to be a part of the conversation. And um, Hamilton afforded that. I felt like every time that I went to work, I was I was moving the ball further down the field. I was making a difference. Um, and that's you know as an actor, you don't always get those gigs, so it was very. It was very important and um, and enriching, and uh, some of the hardest stuff I've ever done too. I bet that's not an easy role, Angelica. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The, the Angelica role is not—it's not considered really heavy lifting because there's not—I don't have that much stage time as Angelica. But having to sing "Satisfied," this song that everyone comes to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, the pressure, I think the pressure actually really, uh, it got me ready for what I was going to step into with Moulin Rouge. Right. Um, right. you know, standing in the middle of a turntable in a ball gown where you can't see your feet as it spins, <laughs> having to rap and then, um, doing a version of something that you've just done moments before, but slightly different, um, right. nightly. And then having to have this huge emotional, moment um and having to sing your face off all of that stuff for a split second really did prepare me for coming down on that trapeze as the sparkling diamond right Um, yeah is that is that scary or is that cool that moment where you come down from the from the high above the trapeze doesn't even feel like anything anymore oh okay there was a there was a point at which i you know they'd open the trap and a part of me would be screaming inside <laughs> saying, why did you choose to be an actor? <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, you know, I, I've noticed even, you know, even last week I get up there and my I'm dangling above the audience and I'm not even holding on sometimes. I'm just like, I'm adjusting. I mean, you're strapped earring. in, right? But 
I'm st- I have a, a safety, but I'm not holding right. on at all. I'm just right. like sitting up on the trapeze, like sort of balancing, like, you know, making sure that the rest of, you know, the Ricola that I'm eating is out of my tooth, <laughs> my hand, I'm just like not really even paying attention to the fact that I could fall to my death if something was to go wrong. It doesn't even, yeah, it doesn't even register anymore. Right. And back to uh, back to Hamilton, you were working then with, uh, as you mentioned, your old buddy, Lin-Manuel Miranda and director Tommy yeah. Kale. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, your breakout role on Broadway was in there in the Heights, which is about to be a movie or is a movie and will probably come out in June unless this coronavirus thing you know, delays it a little. Um, right. Have you seen any of it? Do you know anything about it? I have seen some of it. I went to this, I went to the set one day and Lynn stole someone's phone. I'm assuming it was the director's. Um, mm. And he showed me uh, a little bit of Piragua and I saw a little bit of When You're Home. Mm-hmm. And I think a little bit of It Won't Be Long Now. Yeah. And um, I'm, I, I think I'm going to be the most excited person. <laughs> in the world <laughs> like, like i every time i see the trailer i i just i break out into a sweat i start crying <laughs> my heart rate is through the roof i i keep joking but i'm not gonna be okay i'm gonna need i'm gonna need help afterwards help out yeah. of the theater i'm gonna need to get to my therapist <laughs> so damn proud yeah um it, it looks incredible, and I think that it's going to be the kind of band-aid that um, people will need when they actually see it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just assuming that Vanessa is a role that's particularly sort of meaningful to you. Is that true? And if so, why? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. It, uh, most of the roles that I do, they're, they're just me at that time, mm. a version of me at the time. Mm. And so Vanessa was Karen when she was doing In the Heights. And so now every time I see any version of In the Heights, I'm looking at myself Mm. because a lot of, you know, Kiara Hudes who wrote the book, there were things that we would say in rehearsal and all of a sudden it would be inside. (laughs) It would be in the script the next day. And so there are are these tiny things that are quintessential Karenisms that exist inside In the Heights. And that I can't remove the two on my brain it's right. um it's like looking at uh an old uh an old photograph of myself it's really interesting hmm. do you are there other roles that feel particularly significant to you in your development uh yeah i would say anita is one mm-hmm. anita was you know the first time that i ever saw myself on a someone who looked like me on a screen doing musical yeah. theater. It was when I saw the movie musical of West Side Story. Sure. Um, that, that meant a lot. I mean, I just finished, that was the first time that I had actually been like a, sort of the lead of a show on my own without, right. you know, my buddies around me. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that Anita is definitely Karen at that age, clawing at the entertainment business saying, someone look at me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then how did, how did winning the Tony change that or did it? Uh, it did. It changed it in the sense that, um, and then everyone was, everyone was looking at me and I realized I wasn't nearly as comfortable with it as I thought mm. I would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and probably was not ready for that amount of exposure. 
And you've also, you released an album in a few years back in 2017. Are you interested in doing more things like that or recording? I, I really, I know that recording is something that I, I could be good at. Mm. Um, there are some things that I need to get over. I'm not a fan of like sitting in a dark room, listening to myself in my ears, you know, yeah. Yeah. like playback is kind of the worst thing for me um I don't like the sound of my voice so and I know that so much of making an album is like really sort of honing in on little tiny things uh about the way that you you sing and where you take breaths and how you pronounce words and that kind of microscope for me is not comfortable but I do know that there um I do I'm very proud of that album and so I know that there's probably a time in the future in which I will do something like that again, but I need to figure out how to be okay with being in the studio with myself. Uh, Cause that was not comfortable. Uh, <laughs> and I don't wish that upon anyone. <laughs> yeah. And what about, you've done uh, plenty of film and TV work as well. Is that something you are interested in doing more of? Is that work you like doing? You know, I, I loved my time, uh, on TV. I did a mm. show with Kathy Bates yeah. for NBC. And that was incredible because spending your life in the theater, you learn all of the terminology, you understand how, how to put up a show, how to do a show. Um, and when I got to TV, it was just slightly different. All the terminology was just slightly different right. and the techniques were so different. And so I loved doing it because I was learning and I was learning from the best. I was learning from Kathy Bates. I was watching her like a hawk and trying to do everything that she did. Um, And so for that reason and that reason alone, I really do love that medium. Uh, I do miss having the audience and that, that very personal exchange. I also miss the fact that, you know, it it can only happen in this moment with these people surrounding Mm. you. That live theater is something that I, you just, it's not something that can be duplicated. Uh, But I do appreciate the other mediums. And I love that it's very hard to do what you have to do for those mediums. Mm. Um, And I like the challenge of it. Um, But if if I was given a choice, I would always be on the stage just because that's where I was born, you know? Right. That's where I understand and love the most. Yeah. Is there a type of character that you've never gotten to play that you would like to play? Huh. I don't know that I would like to play them, but I don't really play anyone that's like ordinary. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like I've, there's no milk toast, you know, on my resume. Like no right. one's just like, ah, you could take her or leave her. Right. It, it's, <laughs> Yeah, that's not, people don't hire me for that. Um, It's either someone who's like, someone who's like a trailblazer or someone who's, you know, a a fighter or some form of Mm. warrior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know that I would want to do the other thing because I don't know that I'd be any good at it. I'm sure there are other people who are great at it. So I I guess I wouldn't want to steal that from them. Yeah. And is there a role that exists that you would like to play? I really want to play Fosca. Oh, okay. Yeah, in passion. Yeah, I love that show so much. Um, it's such, 
it's such a hard thing. Mm, I mean, um, but, and even more so emotionally, like there's a lot of acting work. I mean, how does one play Fosca and not make her hated by the audience? And that's the thing, right? You have to get, you have to figure out a way to make this person as human as possible and vulnerable while still being a complete maniac. Um, And that's the kind of challenge that I like. Yeah. And so before we get to see you again, again in Moulin Rouge and then hopefully in Passion, what does a Broadway performer like yourself do to fill your time now? Do you have some like, like a social distancing checklist of, oh, I'm going to read Moby Dick and watch The Wire and, uh, you know, I don't know, learn to macrame. Do you, what's, what's on your list? I have a, I have a studio at my home in mm-hmm. Madison, Wisconsin. And I am, um, I'm currently drowning in a Christmas stocking that I started making for my niece. Oh, that has very intricate sequencing and um, stitching on it. And that is what I'm doing right now. I mean, I have an entire studio full of projects that need to be finished. So I'm using my time wisely and I'm going to check all of them off the list. Is this knitting project specifically or? or I'm sorry, Tegan? Is this knitting project specifically or all sorts of? Well, I have, I have a, I have some felting that I'd like oh, to get okay. back to. Yeah. <laughs> I do have some crocheting and some knitting yep. that is looking at me from the corner. As you see. <laughs> um, I have an easel right now that has a piece of work that I've been working on for well over, I want to say almost seven years. Um, yeah. That's staring at me too. Right. Um, I mean, I, I paint and stuff like that. So, yeah. there, I mean, I have, you name it, so I have got, it on the list. Yeah, you've got lots to do. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, best of luck tackling all that. And we can't wait to see you on stage again in Moulin Rouge. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. That was Karen Olivo of Moulin Rouge, the Broadway musical that will resume its run at the Al Hirschfeld Theater as soon as the coronavirus shutdown ends. In the meantime, you can hear her on the show's original Broadway recording, available to purchase or stream wherever you get your music. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there on Spotify, on the Broadway Podcast Network, and on all the other pod places. And if you've got feedback, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. I'll be back next week with another new episode to keep us all thinking and talking about theater, even if we can't go see any right now. See you then. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 